Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's February, Black History Month. The one month a year where Americans take time to recognize the contributions Black Americans have made to this country since they were first brought to the U.S. and enslaved. It means celebrating luminaries like Shirley Chisholm, the first Black woman elected to Congress, poet Gwendolyn Brooks, the first Black woman to win the Pulitzer Prize, and so many others. But this year's Black History Month feels different, because in 2024, the instruction of Black history is being limited in schools across the nation. I'm Cheyenne Daniels, race and politics reporter for The Hill, and this is The Switch Up. Since 2021, at least 18 states have imposed bans or restrictions on teaching topics of race and gender, according to reporting by Edweek. Some of these bans have even led to the banning of books written by Black authors. We spoke with some of those writers in an earlier episode of The Switch Up, but for today's episode, we're looking at why, despite pushback, Telling the stories of Black Americans remains an integral part to understanding American history. Before we delve into the battle taking place in classrooms today, we first have to talk about a man named Carter G. Woodson, also known as the father of Black History Month. Woodson was born in 1875 in New Canton, Virginia, to the parents of two formerly enslaved people, both of whom were illiterate. But that did not stop Woodson from seeking out his own education. At 16, he decided to get an education and he finished his bachelor's degree, his master's degree, and his PhD. That's Dr. Marvin Delaney, president of the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History, an organization that seeks to research, preserve, and share information about Black life and history. He went to Harvard University. He got a PhD in history. While he was at Harvard, two of his professors, one basically said that African-Americans had no history. Then another said that African-Americans were these inferior people that you know were not equal to, to white people. And of course, Woodson grew up in this terrible period in American history. We, in the historical profession, we sort of refer to it as, as the nadir, one of the lowest points in American race relations because of the lynchings and race riots and just uh, the laws that were passed. Now, you know, that established the Jim, the Jim Crow segregation system in this country. And so Woodson saw all of this as he was growing up and uh, as he was becoming a professional in the historical profession. Uh, as he was becoming, as he uh, emerged as a, a teacher of, uh, of African-American history. He starts the association in 1915, the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, uh, with the goal of teaching, preserving, researching, and, and making public uh, the history of African-Americans in, in America as well as throughout the world. One year later, in 1916, 
Woodson started the scholarly Journal of Negro History, a journal still being published today, but with a different title, the Journal of African American History. But Woodson didn't stop there. In 1926, Woodson launched Negro History Week to be celebrated in the second week of February. He was strategic about his time frame as he wanted the holiday to align with the birthdays of President Abraham Lincoln and the scholar and abolitionist Frederick Douglass. And from this one week, Black History Month was born. Though Woodson died of a heart attack at the age of 74 in 1950, his legacy lives on. And today, Delaney's Association honors Black History Month by focusing on different themes each year. For 2024, the theme is African Americans in the arts. We chose African Americans in the arts because African Americans have been so prominent in, in American arts and, and, and culture. And of course, two things. The first is, of course, that uh, African Americans have used the arts as a, as a way of, of, of protest of, you know, using poetry and music. And of course, I go all the way back to the slave songs. Uh, and, and again, what's happening, for example, with me during this month, uh, I've de developed presentations using music and poetry and literature to sort of illustrate how African-Americans have used those uh, parts of the arts, oh, let's say to protest discrimination, to, to tell our, our story, um, to begin our, 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 our self-identity. Um, in this country, it's been hard for uh, African-Americans to sort of claim their identity. So the first part is, again, use the arts uh, as, as a means of protest. And then second, uh, to use the arts to influence American society. This year's focus area highlights the creativity of artists such as Riley B. King, more commonly known as blues musician B.B. King, and the poetry of writers like Langston Hughes. I've known rivers ancient as the world and older than the flow of human blood in human veins. My soul has grown deep like the rivers. But the association is also fully aware of legislators' attempts around the nation to limit what aspects of Black history remain in the curriculum. So I think the big thing happening right now is around the College Board's AP African American Studies course. And that kind of all started last year, actually, in Florida, when Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said that they would not accept the course. It was too, quote unquote, woke, and it, quote, lacked educational value. So that's really where this started. And then over the past year, College Board has multiple times revised the course, um, which has kind of ca caused them to take flack on all sides because everybody was just unhappy with the speeches. It didn't change the Santa's mind and made Black activists unhappy. The course is still not allowed in uh, Florida. Arkansas won't ha have it for credit. So that's kind of where we're at right now is the course has been revised a, fi a final time in December. That's Lexi Lonis, education reporter for The Hill. And as she said, Nation really began to see pushback on the AP Black History course after DeSantis, who suspended his White House bid last month, forbade it from running in public schools in the Sunshine State. The course, which began as just a pilot, required lessons on intersectionality, the Black Lives Matter movement, Black queer studies, and topics that many Republicans in general believe to be divisive. 
And it wasn't only Florida that nixed the course from schools either. So did Arkansas. But Professor Sonia Douglas, director of the Black Education Research Center, or Burke, at the Teachers College of Columbia University, argued that the AP course is incredibly important to understanding African-American history. I know there's been you know, a lot of kind of debate and controversy over the course, um, but I think it is important, an important step, number one, and a way to, as you mentioned, you know, really deepen our understanding of different aspects of Black history. And in this case, they really go into, again, the, you know, the, the African dynasties, um, government, governance systems and structures, which I think, again, is important because it helps to, um, it helps us to understand how a lot of that has informed even our own systems and structures in the U.S. I think it's also important um, in terms of identity development, as you mentioned, for students to think that they are um, only descendants of, of the formerly enslaved, as opposed to those who have created knowledge, created information, were scientists, alchemists, um, and really um, had a significant role to play in the shaping of you know, societies and communities is really important. And I think that is why we see a lot of the the fight um, and the resistance to teaching these topics because it does shift power in many ways. It shifts um, who we value in terms of those who create knowledge, those who are producing information as opposed to only consuming it. And I think for many people that can be um, a bit frightening. But again, we're in a, I think, exciting moment where as we begin to change the content that students have access to, where they are, especially for Black students, more affirmed um, and have a better understanding of who they are and their place in the world, it will, I think, reap tremendous rewards in having uh, individuals who better understand um, their role, especially in democratic society, and participate that in a way that can help address many of the challenges that we're facing as a country. Still, controversy around Black history curriculum has not stopped with the AP course battle. The Florida Department of Education has also asked that students be taught that slavery was beneficial because it helped enslaved people to learn useful skills, something many advocates say completely rewrites history. Vice President Kamala Harris was quick to issue a scathing rebuke of these new education standards. They want to replace history with lies. <laughs> Middle school students in Florida to be told that enslaved people benefited from slavery. <laughs> High schoolers may be taught that victims of violence, of massacres, were also perpetrators. I said it yesterday. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us. And we will not have it. And we will not have it. But again, it's not just Florida where these things are happening. Missouri's Francis Howell School District Board of Education voted in December to stop offering courses on Black history and Black literature. The classes had been available to students at the three high schools in the district since 2021. And now, it's not just the White House that's speaking out. Students are too. Students and parents have been protesting, going to uh, school board meetings, and the school board has at least backed off a bit and said, we will keep the course, but we need to see some adjustments, which will be coming up in the next couple of months. Professor Douglas and her team at Burke are now working on creating a K-12 curriculum. These Black Studies courses will instruct students about early African civilizations, the Black experience in America, and the contributions and accomplishments of African Americans. 
In a survey the center conducted in October on voter perspectives on such a curriculum, they found that 73% of respondents approved of the idea. I think that the rich, <laughs> vast um, amount of knowledge, right, in history and in across disciplines, whether it's mathematics and science, the arts, English language arts, um, there's just so many ways that we could enhance what students are taught as it relates to Black history. Um, and I'll say Black studies too, there is a distinction between those. I mean, there, it's important, again, to account for the history and experiences of Black Americans, but there's also, again, a unique perspective and vantage point that I think is really important and, and that often isn't spoken about. And so there's, depending on your own identity and perspective, there might be two ways in which you teach um, the Black freedom struggle for equal education, for example, or the Civil War, or the role of, you know, GI, Black GIs that came back from the war. Um, so that lens is important because we can all teach a certain set of topics Right. But again, the knowledge that you're drawing from and the experiences that you have based on your own racial identity may change how that information is conveyed. In the curriculum, we are starting well before slavery, because, <laughs> um, again, we recognize that peoples of African descent really are the original peoples of the world. Um, you know, we all find our roots back to Africa, and we find that that is very important, not only in understanding our origins, but understanding, again, the creation of knowledge systems by Africans and people of African descent. And much of that, I think, has been, well, it has been uh, misrepresented in terms of who we kind of view as the original um, progenitors of knowledge, whether it's the Greeks or the Romans, right? Again, many of those knowledge systems were taken um, from ancient Kemet and other places in Africa. And so part of that is, again, unlearning, I think, some of the misinformation that we've had, or as Carter G. Woodson mentioned, the miseducation, um, and correcting that with fuller and more comprehensive narratives that include a Black perspective. Still, this isn't a new fight. According to Dr. Ashley White, an assistant professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the inaugural education fellow for equity, access, and opportunity with the NAACP, America has been in this moment before. The political undermining of Black history really begins with Brown v. Board, 1954-55, and the kind of massive resistance that was ushered in through the nefarious implementation of Brown v. Board is really where in education we witness this political leaning around what should be a positive beneficial experience for students, families, and children. The other part is, if you, if you don't know, the precursor to that really is compulsory schooling. When the United States decided that school would be mandatory and the ways in which Black folk were left out of that narrative and out of that implementation, which led to, in some ways, a very in innovative process for the education of Black children. Those two pinpoints in time, I really think, speak to the political process around education. The second point for me is first realizing that when I taught, I taught for 15 years in public schools. As a teacher, witnessing perfunctory measures such as only talking about Black history during Black History Month, the district's efforts to create Black history curriculum. It's really interesting that as a school teacher, I realized that something was awry when we think about how Black history and the other histories of marginalized peoples were being represented in education. I knew something was wrong. I knew it wasn't genuine in the way that it was being presented. I knew that there was something 
strange about being asked not to speak about certain things. I knew that when I had instances when I was teaching Black history, I knew that when white parents went to my principal and asked that the student be removed, something was wrong. This is not new. And I remember thinking as an educator, well, that's odd. And that happened to me on multiple occasions. So when you talk about politicizing, it has always been there. And I think that's important for us to note. But Dr. White can remember another time where she noticed the politicization of Black history, even if she didn't have the words to explain it at the time. Though inundated with American and European history classes throughout her schooling, there came a time in Dr. White's high school career when she realized courses on African-American history were missing. There was a key point in my high school career. I remember in my foreign instruction not having any African-American history courses. My AP exam was on Euro history. Now, as a teenager, I didn't realize the implications of that. It wasn't until I went to college my freshman year that I was even exposed to African-American history beyond that of my family context, conversations with my community. So those are the three instances I think that kind of speak to this politicizing of education, the politicizing of Black history, the misuse or underuse of Black history. And those three points really illustrate not only the longevity of this practice, but the ways in which it is deeply connected to all parts of education in, in this country. Of course, as we discussed earlier, some students now have access to an African-American studies course in high school. But as this dispute over Black history and how to teach it continues, many have expressed concerns about the toll it takes on students of all races. White students will sort of suffer more from this sort of campaign to, to stop them from having to feel bad or uh, uh, to, to literally be offended in some cases by, by Black history or, and the coverage of things such as slavery and, and oppression wow. and civil rights. And this lack of education, Dr. Delaney added, could be deadly. I um, research uh, with, with, the, with police and police brutality. And one of the things I've found uh, that the police the literally police don't know any history. And so as a result, right. they right. react to black people in, a, in this hostile, callous manner because they believe, you know, we haven't contributed anything, um, that we are people who are a, a drag on society. And so uh, my conclusion is that one, they, they don't, don't know our history. And, and of course, they sort of grow up there with these negative attitudes and feelings about Black people, and they act on them on the streets in terms of arrest and brutality and shootings. They don't have the empathy that is needed to treat us like regular human beings. As legislators continue to push back on the necessity of Black history instruction, concerned over allegedly divisive courses furthering racial tensions, Professor Douglas said they may actually be reinforcing discrimination. I think that it harkens of the cries of the fact that there, there isn't racism, but somehow certain students are still being discriminated against or will be offended by curriculum. I think it underscores the fact that racism still is very much, you know, a, a part of American life, that unfortunately what benefits one group automatically is viewed as hurting another and vice versa. I mean, we saw this with Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter, for example, right? the juxtaposition between blackness and whiteness. And to me, this is the thing that we really have to address because as long as two groups 
are at odds with one another just by virtue <laughs> of being on one side or the other, we cannot come to a place of reconciliation, right, um, or unity. And I think that teaching, again, a comprehensive curriculum, one that is not divisive, it may be sensitive, it may touch on difficult topics, but um, I think we have to, dare I say, you know, be a little bit tougher. I know that the right often accuses <laughs> those in the academy of being snowflakes or, or being very, you know, sensitive. So it's just interesting to see, I think, some of those same critiques being lodged against teaching the truth. At the end of the day, Dr. White explained, Black history should be taught for the simple fact that it is part of American history. You know, quite frankly, without the contributions of our ancestors historically and immediately, for example, the Little Rock Nine that just comes to mind for other reasons, America would not be what it is. We should be scared about the false narratives that are attached to Black history. We should be scared that we are perpetuating narratives of white fragility that may not have to exist if we but put this history in front of all students at an early age. We should be scared of undercutting the future of America by not endowing our students with the knowledge they need to not only compete in this society, but in global society. This is about so much more than the moral arc and making sure that our children have every know what happened in America. It's kind, it's sweet, but it's also about our economic prosperity because if you cannot deal in the global economic environment, we will not be able to maintain our status as a nation. I'm Cheyenne Daniels, race and politics reporter for The Hill. And from all of us at The Hill, thanks for listening to this episode of The Switch Up. A quick note on our reporting for this episode. The Switchup did reach out to the U.S. Department of Education, but they were unable to join us for this episode. But we'll keep you posted on any future conversations we have with those in charge of setting education standards for students around our country. In the meantime, be sure to follow The Hill at T-H-E-H-I-L-L on all social media for future updates, including episode drops and articles. And you can watch my full interviews with all of our guests on YouTube. The Switchup was created and written by me. Script editing for this episode was done by Steph Thomas. Audio production by myself and Casey Brady. Our social media manager is Tia Shepard. Mm-hmm.